pretty, isn't it? Perfectly balanced, as all things should be. Okay, here we go. Next seminar up, October 13th through the 15th, then December 8th through the 10th, and then February 9th through the 11th. Workshop for personal trainers on deck, September 23rd in Katy, Texas, and October 21st on Long Island. These workshops are for fitness professionals that want to learn more about the barbell training and the starting strength method and principles. Participants will be going through the five-step deadlift progression with each other. You can also be eligible for a $100 discount. Check the link for more details. And earn CEUs towards whatever credential you currently carry. And actually, you can earn CEUs for any of our seminars and camps, not just this one. Then some self-sufficient lifter camps, September 16th, Wichita Falls, September 23rd in Omaha, Nebraska at Testify Strength and Conditioning, and then back in Wichita Falls on November 4th. Still some spots left for our squat camp in Astoria, Queens on October 7th. Then our press and bench press camps going on September 2nd in Indianapolis at Starting Strength Indianapolis and September 23rd on Long Island. Deadlift and Power Clean Camp on Long Island also December 2nd with spots available. And finally, some three-lift camps on the list covering the squat, the press, and the deadlift going on October 21st in Brussels, Belgium at Brussels Barbell, November 19th in Glasgow, Scotland, and then look out for a camp that's going to be added for December 9th in London shortly. And to all our military veteran followers, we do have a program for you, whether you want to be a starting strength coach and work independently or become a starting strength coach and work in one of the gyms. Both of those options are available to you, and we have a pipeline specifically for you the opportunity to use your GI Bill, and a few more benefits. So if you're interested or you know a vet that might be interested, send them to startingstrength.com forward slash careers, scroll down to the Veterans tab, fill out the form, and you'll get linked up with none other than Ina Capel or Ina Koppel. She's going to give me shit regardless. And as usual, for more information on anything that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet, ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. We are fortunate this week to have as our guest on the show, Edward Dowd. And Ed is the author of this book. Now look at it. Look at this book. This is the most important book in print about the chaos that has occurred over the past three years. This is a book of numbers and facts and pictures and not opinions and if you are at all interested in what has gone on over the past three years then you need this book look at it very carefully and go to amazon and buy a copy of this right now cause unknown edward doubt and uh, ed thank you very much for your time thank you very very much for your time you're a busy guy and we appreciate your being on the show with us today Thank you for having me on. Appreciate being here and all the truth you guys are getting out. Well, we are trying our best. And uh, let me find my page here. I want I want you to understand, you people that are watching this, to understand exactly what's going on with this book. Because this is not just some bullshit that has been thrown together by a publisher, all right? Uh, for example... Tell me if you've ever heard the following, following instructions 
at the front of a book. Consider having a marker on hand as you read. Put a big X through anything you believe is not true. Next to that X, write what is true. Without that second step, any of us might instantly discount or disregard information. That challenges something we've assumed, often just because the new information is something we haven't heard before. You might be inspired to seek out a fact-checking site <laughs> to test or refute some information in this book that you find hard to believe. Fair enough. But before you automatically rely upon fact-checkers, use the QR code, which is right beside this paragraph, to confirm that the Reuters CEO who started Reuters Fact Check, was simultaneously on the board of Pfizer and still is, while simultaneously serving as chairman of the Reuters Foundation that oversees their fact-checking operation today. Conflicted and circular relationships like this are common when it comes to pharmaceutical marketing. Now, I want to read one more paragraph, and I'm boring Ed to death because you don't... No one likes to hear their own shit read to them. There's good reason Pfizer would want a board member with influence over Reuters fact check. Just like there's good reason they have a board member, Pfizer, I'm sorry, Reuters has a board member who was recently head of the FDA. And there's good reason for each of the people they added to their board in 2020. In 2020, before this started, the outgoing CEO of the Gates Foundation and the current CEO of Coca-Cola. How about that, boys and girls? It's natural that Pfizer would do all it can to promote and protect the highest grossing consumer product in world history the highest grossing consumer product in world history is the vaccine. I mean, if that doesn't creep you out real bad, you just need to turn this off because you're already gone. Your brain is mush and you're not <laughs> capable of using the damn thing. All right. This is a gigantic hoax. Now, let me let me point something out. All right, those of you uh, that pay attention to what we do know that the word phenomenology is an extremely important part of the analysis of anything. All right, what actually happens is the phenomenology. That's the phenomenon is the thing that happened. Here is a phenomenon. This is what happened. If it happens over and over and over and over and over again, then that becomes data. And any theory, and a theory is a thing that explains a set of facts. A theory is an explanation for a set of facts. That's all. That's what the word means. It's an explanation for a set of facts. And if the theory ignores the phenomenology, then it's not a theory. It is propaganda. Now, you keep that in mind, and we're going to let Ed educate us here on 
a bunch of very, very important things that have happened in the past three years. Pay close attention. Get a piece of paper and a pen and take some notes because it's coming at you real quick and you need to remember all of this stuff. Ed, talk to us. So what's interesting in the book Cause Unknown, it talks about the phenomenon of uh, excess deaths in 2020 and 2021 and uh, 2022 and disabilities as well. And one thing that your audience needs to know is that in that in 2020, there were about 500,000 excess deaths. And what I mean by excess deaths is above the normal death rate, which is very predictable. Insurance companies write policies on very predictable death rates. There's a cycle to this and people just don't die in uh, noisy, random conditions. It's very, it's very predictable. Well, excess deaths in the U.S. in 2020 were 500,000 uh, above the trend line, the five-year trend line. Uh, and in the same amount of people died excessively in 2021. What was very fascinating to me as a Wall Street analyst was, uh, we all knew in 2020, and we were told before uh, a certain consumer product was rolled out that uh, Pfizer and Moderna issued, we were told that most of the people who died were old. That was correct, that's factually correct. And they had comorbidities, that the, uh, the threat of young people dying from this was de minimis. And uh, that's what we were told. That was fact. That was that's what we were told by the health authorities. Then in 2021, there was an incredible mix shift from old to young. So 500,000 in each year. But what shifted in, in uh, 2021 was the composition of those who died. And mysteriously, millennials and Gen Xers started dying with much uh, greater frequency in 2021 uh, than 2020. And when you go even further into the data, it was even more alarming in those who were employed, especially at Fortune 500 and mid-sized companies that had what's called group life policies. And the insurance industry reported the losses in these policies, the likes of which we've never seen. In fact, uh, in uh, the Society of Actuaries, uh, which rolls up the, the industry revenues, reported in August of 2022 that in 2021, they experienced in their very elite group of healthy young individuals working ages 25 through 64, 40% excess mortality. Uh, the CEO of, of One America, CEO of One America, Scott Davison, uh, is quoted as saying, a 10% increase is a once in a 200 year flood, a three standard deviation event, which happens 0.3% of the time. And 40% is just unheard of and off the charts. Not, not, they couldn't, couldn't put math around it. The right, it's evening. never happened before. Correct. And uh, these are, this, this is real. This happened. It's not BS. What's even more curious is when you look at the Society of Actuaries table, they showed a dramatic rise in specifically millennials, ages 25 through 44, in the third quarter of 2021. Uh, their excess death, which was running around 30% in the spring of 2021, shot up to 84% in the third quarter of 2021. And that's 84% over previous baseline. Previous baseline. Right. I, you know, it's, it's, let's, be, let's be clear about this. It's, there are a few people in that demographic that die every year. Not many, but a few. But an 84% increase represents almost a doubling of that number. 
And that, Absolutely. that demands an explanation. Let me tell you what I heard the explanation was. The explanation that um, was, well, Ed, uh, there were uh, uh, suicides of despair from the lockdowns. <laughs> and what I find interesting about that is that in the third quarter of 2021, there was apparently amongst the elite workers of our uh, country at Fortune 500 and mid-sized companies, because that's where group life policies reside. They reside in well-to-do companies that give this as a benefit. And when you die, you get a uh, one-time base salary or two extra base salary benefit to your beneficiary. Um, and uh, so apparently there was a suicide pact amongst those who still had jobs and were doing well. That's, I guess, right. one of the explanations. Yeah, that, the other that explanation, makes Yeah. There were, the other explanation was um, this age group missed their cancer screening appointments. Curiously enough, <laughs> cancer screening appointments are not a thing amongst people at, in that age, in nor that age. my age. I'm, I'm 56. I've never had one. Typically speaking, a cancer screening occurs when you go to the doctor and something's wrong and, the, and you're, you're presenting ill. Right. And then you have a battery of tests. Uh, so th there's no there's no appointment that people do their annual cancer screening. That, that's yeah, it's not an annual checkup kind of thing like you get when you're playing football. You know, it's not a it's not like a physical. If you go in for a cancer screening, something is wrong. Something is Absolutely. already wrong or you don't go. That's that's correct. Yeah. And insurance companies don't pay for willy-nilly cancer screening tests. They're not cheap. So that, that, that explanation makes no sense either. And the third and final explanation I heard for this, uh, this accelerated change into the third quarter was, um, well, Ed, uh, drug overdoses. Well, apparently there was a rash of drug overdoses in the third quarter amongst those who work at Fortune 500 companies. Mind you, yeah, to get a notoriously to, drug abusing population, right? Well, and it, and to make this even more uh, unbelievable, to get the policy, you have to be employed at the company at the time. If you were fired because of drug use, you do not get uh, you do not get the uh, the benefit. So imagine fentanyl and heroin users uh, able to hide and conceal their drug use uh, and stay employed for very long. And they all decided to die uh, simultaneously in the third quarter while well, hiding their drug problem from their employer. Well, now, isn't that interesting? Isn't it even more interesting that the lockdowns were being blamed, the suicides were being blamed on lockdowns, when the lockdowns were ostensibly for what purpose? Keeping everyone uh, safe? Correct. Uh, there's just so many things wrong here. Right. You know, there's so there's many not, things so, wrong. Right. And so one of the things uh, that I posited as potential theory was maybe it was a new novel experimental vaccine with job mandates in the third quarter. That was one of my theories. Uh, you know, that's, the, that, the, my, that's my standing theory and explains the most to me and anybody right. with an iota of uh, two two brain cells, I think. Yes. No, absolutely. What, are, what other conclusion could you draw? Exactly. And, and you know, here's an interesting thing uh, you'll love to know. So in the book, I talk about disability data. And interestingly enough, um, 
Disabilities, it's the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, so it's a different database. They have no skin in the game. They're just reporting a survey of disabled people. These are the same folks who give us the employment uh, report every month. They also, in, on the same day, release the disability data. So it's, it's a monthly uh, survey that uh, it's just a survey, so it doesn't get into granularity. But the numbers of disabled Americans prior to COVID were, uh, was, about, was bouncing around between 29 and 30 million. Interestingly enough, it went down during COVID, and I suspect that was because the lockdowns prevented accidental uh, injuries on the job and the economy was shut down. Right. Several reasons for that. It could have prevented, um, yeah, just access to the data. I mean, if you're locked in your house and and something's wrong, you know, you can't go to the doctor and he can't record the fact that you're disabled now. There's several reasons why that might be. Well, the, the, this, what I love about this data, it's not even a doctor. It's a phone survey. So they, you know, they call 40,000, 50,000 people and statistically figure this out. Oh, so okay. the person self-identifies as disabled. So this is, right. this is not people getting a claim. This is people who get on the phone and say, yeah, I'm disabled and I can't work. Or the question is asked, is someone in your household disabled and unable to work? So that number, uh, that number was 29 to 30 million prior four years. Then mysteriously in February of 2021, it took off and started to climb, uh, you know, on Wall Street, we follow stock charts. And this is just a chart of, you know, it looks like a stock chart. And it took off and broke out. And we added in uh, from February of 21 to September of 22, 3.2 million newly disabled Americans. And uh, the rate of change on that was what we call a three standard deviation event, meaning something had happened that normally the data didn't suggest it would happen, but it did. So there's a 0.3% chance of that happening, and it did. So we added 10% disabled Americans to the population, or 10% uh, 10%, uh, disabled were added. And And, and um, over what time period? Over 18 months, between February of 21 and September of 22, let's call it 16 months. Right. Well, and so we, we looked at that data, and this is what was shocking. Of the 3.2 million that were newly disabled, 1.7 million were employed. So then we decided to look at disability rates. Of You can break down the data. So the employed disability rate between February of 21 and November of 22 went up 36%. Uh, the uh, disability rate for the general U.S. population went up 9%. And those not in labor force, that's a very specific uh, pool of people. These are people that could work and are willing to work but don't have a job. Their disability rate went up 4%. So from between the actuarial data that I told you about uh, um, and this data, you can conclude that something happened in 21 and 22 where the uh, it was detrimental to your health to be employed in, in the U.S. Isn't something it interesting happened. that no one would question the idea that a lot of people work just for the paycheck? And if they're getting paid otherwise, then they won't work. I... I you know, is this not obvious to everyone? I mean, we're, we're not everybody is, you know, like responsible like me and you. You know, a lot of people just work for the paycheck. And if they got another way to get by, they might not go to work. They might call in disabled. <laughs> Would, is that a reasonable conclusion to draw? Well, the... Um 
again, these, these are people being surveyed. So the data, what's great about it, it's not tied to a disability claim. These are just people honestly. So when you, when you get the survey call, you're talking to an official from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. It's anonymous and all your information is kept secret. So you have no incentive to lie. So these are literally, I think, disabled people claiming that, the, that something's happened to them. Well, and, but uh, a lot of people don't believe that it's anonymous. A lot of people don't believe that a call from the government keeps you anonymous. I don't think I would believe that at this point. Correct, but it's not right. tied to a claim, so they, there's no skin right. in the game for that. Right. It's real-time data. Now, no, now I see what what's interesting saying. What's interesting is this. Um, we also discovered a different database since the publication of the book, the uh, uh, UK Disability Pension System. It's called the uh, Personal Independence uh uh, payment. And it's a government run program out of the UK. And we analyze new claims. And uh, the the acceptance rate is uh, to clear a claim is 40% and 60% of the claims are dismissed. And there was a time delay of about, you know, 14 weeks. And there was a conf there was a more of a delay in 2021, 26 weeks, but it's, you know, back to 14 weeks. We saw in new claims, of real, you know, where we could get down into the actual cause of the disability. We saw, so 2020 was 3% rise in new claims. 2021 was 20.5%. And in 2022, 76%. So I've said either there's systemic fraud in the UK pension disability system or something else is going on. And if it is fraud, uh, they should pay me and my firm a bunch of money for finding this out as a consulting fee. Yeah. But instead, instead, uh, they're, 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 there's no response. How much would you charge them to do that analysis job? Well, let, let, let's let's What's say that they hired us. <laughs> let, let, let's 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 say they hired us to investigate if there was fraud. Statistically, we've proven something's gone off the rails here. Um, uh, we would say we would negotiate a uh, fee based on a, like maybe a five percent fee of the total savings. Right. Uh, yeah, so so it could be if if we save them five hundred million, we you know ask for five percent of that, which would be two and a half. But we did this for free, and we're uh, we suspect it's not systemic fraud. If you catch my drift, something well, else. Well, they going on. Uh, either way, they owe you. <laughs> maybe they, a pat on the back <laughs> they owe you well <laughs> yeah maybe a pint in a pub somewhere uh oh this is this is just so hard to wrap your mind around all of this that's taken place over the past three years uh we, we're raised in this country to think that the truth is important and that our public servants have got our best interests at heart. And a lot of things like this that have turned out to be just complete bullshit. And, I mean, at this point, if you're not cynical, you're just, you're just being stupid. You're just being willfully stupid. I mean, it doesn't take an exceptional intelligence to appreciate the fact that a whole bunch of money has been made 
by a very few people and that pretty much the entire medical system in this country has been complicit in that effort, either through um, malice or through willful ignorance. You know, I, I don't know what other conclusion to draw. You know, two facts I want to point out to your audience. So the Society of Actuaries, I said they reported 40% excess mortality. The general U.S. population reported 32% excess mortality. So again, the group life uh, folks, the healthiest amongst us, uh, experience more excess deaths than the general U.S. population. What's interesting about that is the Society of Actuaries did a study in 2016 that proved this group was much healthier than the general U.S. population. In fact, in any given year, they die at one-third the mortality rate of uh, the general U.S. population, and that's why they insure these people, because they can make a ton of money off people that don't die and collect premiums. That all flipped on its head in 2021. The, the, the other thing that people should understand, we, you talked about money, people who made money. I want to put some numbers on Pfizer here. So Pfizer is a company that's been around decades and decades and decades. It took them decades and decades and decades to get the $40 billion in revenue in 2020. In 2021, they got to $90 billion. Now, let me say that again. It took decades to get to $40 billion, And, and it one took year, one year to more than double their revenue. Their revenue. Off of a $40 billion base, which is took them decades to get to, in one year, $90 billion. So if that doesn't make you suspicious, and the amount of money they made to then, um, you know, give money to advertisers, to shut down the networks uh, in terms of speaking the truth, uh, to the tech companies for the ads they posted there, the doctors, uh, the politicians, nine, an extra, an, an extra um, $50 billion, uh, can, uh I call it payola. There was payola in my estimation mm -hmm. going on. It kept everybody silent. Well, I don't watch television. I, I come home every night and watch a movie off of a DVD or a Blu-ray that I've got. But I haven't had television on in a long time. But occasionally I'll go in someplace to eat lunch and there'll be TV on. And you know what I see? I see Pfizer advertising diseases. And that's, that's literally what they're doing. They're literally advertising these bizarre diseases that they happen to have a product to treat. Now, that's, they're spending a whole bunch of money with the networks, a whole bunch. Of, I would like to know how much money Pfizer spends on advertising. That might be, do you happen to know that? I, I don't know. It, it's a big portion of the total ad spend, but what I do know is that it, it, there's been reports that it's up to 75% of the advertising revenues of the nightly news shows. 75% of, the, of yeah. the nightly, the three network news shows. Correct. Uh, are from, if not Pfizer, pharmaceutical companies in general, right? Ph pharmaceutical industry, yeah. Yes. 75%. Now, I don't know a few people that actually watch the news. I don't. I studiously avoid it. Uh, because, look, anytime you have the TV on and it's just on in the background, whether you want to or not, you're absorbing some of that bullshit. You know, it goes in and it pollutes your brain. But if 75% 
of the of the ad revenue of the nightly news shows are being generated by one industry there is a reason they're doing it like that and i'm this is just absolutely stunning you know but it's but even as little as i am exposed to it i i see that you know instead of instead of advertising cigarettes like they used to do on the nightly news shows they're now advertising pharmaceuticals then that an interesting juxtaposition i mean a whole bunch of money being spent by one industry that happens to also be what is probably the most profitable industry in the world right now would would that be fair to say that the pharmaceutical industry is the most profitable industry in the world there- there's two profitable industries. The margins are phenomenal. Uh, pharmaceutical products have high margins and software companies. Right. Those two are the most profitable. And software companies are a problem, but not to the extent that has been revealed that the pharmaceutical industry has been a problem. Now, you, you want to hear another inter- interesting fact? Oh, yeah. Uh, so... Most people don't know this, but uh, the, our regulator, the FDA, uh, they have uh, they do it. You know, they have a, a myriad of uh, of um, responsibilities. One of which is pharmaceutical drug approvals. Right. And they have a separate division for that. Of that division, seventy five percent of all their budget comes from the fees paid to them by the pharmaceutical industry. That is in my book, and that's a New York Times story. Now, say that again, because that's almost unbelievable. But I, I'm aware of this. This is, uh, I, what is the number? 5% of all revenues produced by the pharmaceutical industry go to the regulators? I don't know if it's 5%, but I do know that of the, of the multi-billions and billions that the FDA gets in budget for approval of drugs for again they're they're approving right. they're reviewing and approving drug new drugs uh 75% of their budget for that division comes from the pharmaceutical industry in the form of fees paid now, fees how does the FDA have the balls to reject a new drug application how, they where mostly. would they grow the balls to do that when 75% of their revenue comes from the people they are supposed to be regulating. There is not a more upside-down situation anywhere in government than that. Yeah, let me, t- let me tell you something else. So prior to the COVID vaccines, there was at least kind of a golden rule at the FDA. There's a, there's a, there's a, when you do cl- clinical drug trials, there's a, an endpoint that you test for. It's called all-cause mortality, risk-reward, meaning if the product kills more people than it benefits, uh, you do not approve the drug. It's called all-cause mortality endpoint, and if the drug fails that, the drug is not approved. That was at least one of the golden rules. So right. I guess that went out are- the window with remdesivir, didn't it? And that, well, that went out the window with the, with the Pfizer vaccine because Pfizer, in its own clinical studies, failed the all-cause mortality endpoint, which they did not tell us about when they released their press release in November of 21. 
uh, of uh, 2020, I'm sorry. And uh, they, they failed the endpoint. There were 21 vaccine deaths and 17 placebo deaths for an excess all-cause mortality endpoint number of 23%. <laughs> That should have been that should have been not approved. Right. But then they they did they didn't disclose it and they approved it. So the the new rules are anything goes. So there was a little bit of a governor. Now the FDA is like off the rails completely now. Why have the FDA? Exactly. Why why have the FDA? What purpose do they serve except to calm everybody down? about taking things they shouldn't take. Uh, there's no reason for the justification of this agency anymore, in my humble opinion. No, I, and I want to make an I want to make an analogy. So, you know, people ask, well, why was this? Why did doctors push this? So let me tell you what doctors doctors are uh, people that don't do a lot of statistical analysis. They don't understand clinical trial studies and they rely on the FDA. So when the FDA says something, it becomes gospel to them. And they, with marching orders, say it's a you know it's good good as gold. There was a fraud that occurred in the great financial crisis that was similar with the rating agencies. So this is a third party trusted agent. So rating agencies uh, approved all of those uh, garbage bonds, stamped them with AAA because they were making money hand over fist. They got corrupted, and a lot of uh, unwitting investors bought these bonds because you know the ratings agencies, Moody's, Standard and Poor's. Uh, stamped it with AAA. Not only were they not AAA, they were, you know, uh, you know, junk. And and so once you corrupt the third party watchdog, anything goes. That's why the great financial crisis happened. One of the reasons. Right. And now we have the FDA watchdog getting corrupted, giving out their marching orders and doctors executing without even thinking. Right. And that's they're, what the doctors did. They're not a watchdog. They're a lap dog. Yeah. And that's all there is to it. I mean, doctors aren't particularly bright. You know, the vast majority of people think that doctors are extremely intelligent. Doctors are about statistically about one standard deviation above the IQ of the general public. Their their primary characteristic is that they're very good at memorizing things. Correct. They're good at memorizing things, and that's how they get through medical school. But it does not... the. The fact that you have an MD beside your name does not mean that you are of particular intellectual capacity. You're not terribly good at analyzing things. You're good at remembering what you're supposed to do in certain circumstances, in a variety of circumstances. Now, some of these guys are real sharp, all right? And the guys that are the sharpest are probably the ones that work in the ER, you know, when a case comes in, they've got a whole bunch of things to evaluate in a very, very short period of time. And if they're good at their job, those guys are sharp. They're very, very intelligent. But your average pediatrician is a fool. As far as I'm concerned, he's a fool. And this is widespread across. But, but, <laughs> but. What is the public impression of the ability of these people? They are worshipped as intellectual gods and goddesses, and they're not. And I think 
one of the good things that has happened over the past three years is that lots and lots of people are now aware of that fact. Um, they've had doubts raised about what they've been told by their doctor that has turned out to be complete and utter bullshit. And this is an important development. Well, it's, e it's even worse than that. Uh, that is true, what you just said. But it's come out in some of the um, uh, insurance, health insurance companies, Anthem being one of them, that they incentivize doctors to jab people with the COVID vaccine to the tune of uh, if you hit certain thresholds in your practice, you got bonuses upon bonuses and almost $50 per patient. Oh, my God. And you got paid. Yeah, you know, so they, they were incentivized uh, with, A, the FDA saying it's okay, but also money. They were given money to inject this into people's arms. Well, and what did the hospitals do? You know, they were they were paid money for COVID diagnoses, and they were they were paid additional money for uh, hospitalization. Ho and hospital, but what you know when they when they put you in ICU. Uh, on a on a ventilator yeah you know they they put you in icu on a ventilator they were paid additional money over the initial diagnosis and a ventilator and remdesivir is a death sentence if you didn't die from remdesivir and a ventilator you're a tough motherfucker <laughs> you know and i'm you know this, well, and everybody kind of knows that now, you know, not everybody wants to talk about it like I do, but it, everybody kind of knows that. And everybody is a result of knowing that has lost a bunch of trust in a previously trusted industry. And I think that's a good thing. I, I think the more you think about these things for yourself, the better off you're going to be in the long run. I absolutely agree. You know, anecdotally, I have a story that I tell people. So when I, you know, I'm 56. When I was growing up in the 70s with my grandparents around, they were still alive. I noticed they weren't on a, they weren't taking pills. They weren't on a regimen of elderly people today seem to be on 20 pills. My right. grandparents were on nothing, were on nothing, and when they died, um, you know, got the flu, and then grandma was gone a week later. It wasn't this uh, prolonged de de right. uh, degeneration into, in, into the nursing home and popping pills until you wither. Right. Compressed uh, morbidity is what that's called. Correct. And, and they were vibrant, and they all smoked and drank because they didn't know any better, but they lived until their late 80s. And uh, when they went, they went quickly. And we, you know, I didn't experience what a lot of my. Um, friends experience with their parents today which is you know prolonged agony uh and pill popping into dementia and alzheimer's mm -hmm. yeah but that's that that situation is good for the rest home industry too am i remiss to observe that uh, a lot of this misbehavior uh, financially benefits a lot of people Absolutely. Be, uh, so let's go. Let's let's go, let's go through the the different uh, verticals that stood to gain from what I call this meta fraud. It was a multi industry meta fraud, and so pharmaceutical industries obviously gained because they were able to 
uh, push products mandated under the color of law. So you had a captured audience that had to basically take your product for the most part. Yes, the military, various police agencies, various government employers, well, basically all the government employers. You know, huge a number of employed people in this country had no choice if they wanted to keep their job, did they? Correct, correct. So you had a captured uh, audience, so they stood to make billions, which they did. You had the media companies uh, who stood to make millions from the advertising dollars generated by the pharmaceutical industry. In addition, we've come to find out through some FOIA requests that media companies received over a billion dollars in uh, ad spend from the Biden administration to um, push the vaccine. So they got money from the government. <laughs> uh, the, 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 tech, the tech giants received advertising revenue from the pharmaceutical industry. In addition, they were excited about new revenue streams from surveillance of the vaccination program. You got to remember, there was a Mm -hmm. scary time where they were going to try to push quarterly jabs with your updated vaccine card. And the tech companies were salivating at the the tech platforms of monitoring this and making sure you were compliant and they were going to get new revenue streams. So you had you had those folks. Then you had a whole new industry known as the censorship industry, which we've discovered from the Twitter files. It's a kind of a right. dark hidden industry. They, they get tons of money to, to, to shut people down. So there, there was four verticals that stood to make money, the censorship industry, tech industry, pharmaceutical, um, and then the and media. Then there's, a, then, then there's another vertical that made a lot of money. That's called government politicians who got lots of donations from said media companies, tech companies, and pharmaceutical companies. And that's just that's classic. Uh, uh, this is a classic story of greed and power, greed and power throughout history. Yeah. Human nature doesn't change. You yep. know, and, you don't need and, to get. Yeah, you don't need to get conspiratorial about this. No, 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 no. This, no, is, no. this is observed in every civilization since there have been such things. People Correct. band together for their own self-interest. Now. It was amazing that in 1776, a group of people bound together for their own self-interest against these trends. And it, you know, that lasted for 200 years, probably 220 years or so. But now, boys and girls, this is, things have changed. And goddamn, I hate, I hate to have to tell you this, but this is not the same country that i grew up in where we in school we sang songs about america the beautiful and all this other shit things are different now and you have to understand that you have to take steps to protect yourself but ed i don't know where this goes well i have some thoughts i mean look your audience and the your audience knows this, but they need to, to let other people know that we're not in Kansas anymore. Uh, this, no. this, this, this tragedy that unfolded, it didn't happen overnight. This, the rot in our system has been underneath for 40 plus years. People right. like you and me have seen it. We've been railing against it. And a lot of times, you know, people thought we were crazy. But this, this incident is a bridge too far. You've uh, potentially poisoned 5 billion people on the planet. It's manifested into this. 
And now the good, the, the, you know, from every great evil comes a great good. I, I know you sense this as well. More and more people are waking up. More. I think they are, and, yes. And our numbers are growing, but they're not growing fast enough. And we need to get people aware of the fact that they've been so violated in such a way. And I think if, they, if we can just bring them to the point where they understand they've been poisoned, then they'll start discovering and exploring other issues on their own. And uh, I think the vaccine issue is the, is the issue of the age that's going to wake up a lot of people. Well, I think you're right. I think people are, uh, are looking around themselves. These people that have had five boosters are looking around themselves and saying, you know, I feel just fine, but uh, what's this 25-year-old kid doing dead? You know, I'm, I seem to be okay. I've had another booster. I did what I was told. I was a good boy. You know, I did it to protect my wife. But what is this 18-year-old kid doing dead on the soccer field? You know, and, and you can only see that so many times. You can only go through this book and look at so many of these pictures. This is the phenomenology this has to be taken into account because it happened and that which happened must be paid attention to and if you don't pay attention to it it's going to continue to happen more importantly it's going to get worse because these people are going to push the envelope as far as they can for their own benefit well, I, I, I like to, you know, put forth an analogy that I saw on Wall Street. So let's use the Enron fraud as an, as an example. Enron was a fraud through and through. And people were mystified that so many smart investors wrote it down to zero. And the reason they did is because those at the top, Jeff Skilling and uh, Anthony Fastow, the CFO, they're criminals, they're psychotics. And when you get caught, you don't ever admit it until you're in handcuffs. So they, as their stock was plummeting, were calling some of the big investors who liked them, whispering lies into their ears. And these poor people, well, I don't call them poor, that's, that's Wall Street, but you know, these idiots, right. uh, could, they, they believed the psychopath but not their own lying eyes of what was being uncovered. And, and so the, 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 current, the current administration, regulators, and people responsible for this are doing exactly what Enron did. They continue to push because they, they have no other choice. To admit now what has happened will cause them to go to jail. So they're going to keep pushing as if everything's okay until we, someone throws these people in jail. That's, they're going to keep going because that's what psychopaths do. They, they yeah. go until you stop them. Right. They're not going to stop by themselves because psychopaths don't understand that something is wrong with this behavior. That's what makes them psychopaths. They have no conscience. They have absolutely no control over what they will say to get their own agenda accomplished. I've been around a couple of these people. When you're in their presence, you typically don't understand what's happening to you. Because good psychopaths are extremely persuasive liars. 
They're extremely persuasive, and you have not, you being a normal human being with, you know, a moral sense about you and what's good and what's bad and what you do to other people and what you don't do to other people, find it very, very difficult to believe that this guy can say this shit, but they can. And people don't understand that, oh, probably 5% of the human population is psychopathic. You know, there's lots of them around. There's a whole, whole bunch of them around, and they tend to find themselves in certain predictable jobs. Probably 98% of all politicians are clinical psychopaths, like Nancy Pelosi. Clinical, clearly, clinical psychopath. And they will say anything they need to to accomplish their agenda. And they, and they don't have the slightest sense of guilt about having done so. That's the part of them that's different than us. In fact, there's a statistic uh, done, I think, by somebody somewhere at one of the universities that did psychological profiles of CEOs. And apparently... 20% of CEOs uh, uh, exemplify psychopathic characteristics. So there's something about low. organizational, yeah, something about organizational hierarchies that <clears throat> allow psychopaths to rise to the top. Right. They're, they're willing to do what it's, what is necessary to rise to the top and they'll do it Correct. without, without asking your permission. And uh, yeah, it's a, you can see that in an organization that, takes people in from the bottom which you know presumably and i don't know that that's necessarily true presumably is a is a a a decent sample of the general population where the number of psychopaths would be very very low uh and you concentrate at the top people who will to power and the will to power is almost hand in hand with psychopathy it really is and it's so is it a shock that the speaker of the house of representatives is a psychopath does that really surprise anyone nope not me does it does it surprise anybody that the that mitch mcconnell is a psychopath you know the pathetic old fool but he got to where he got to because he was willing to do anything to get there. Anything. And, I, you know, it's this is this is <clears throat> this is part of this waking up process that the general public needs to do. And I don't Ed, I don't know, man, 80 percent of them put on the mask, maybe more than that. In some circumstances, 80 percent of them put on the mask. And uh, that's, you know, that's a, and I, and, I, and I hate to be this ugly to people, but God damn it. How do you think that just doing what you're told to do, whether it makes any sense or not, doing what you're told to do is a good thing? Do you not understand what? happens when people just do what they're told has history not taught you anything at all about just doing what you're told a lot of people have been killed by people who were just doing what they're told 
Now, I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think it's, a, it's one of the worst aspects of society is people are willing to do shit that they're told to do in complete suspension of what they know is right and wrong or what they know is true or false. I'll never forget in the, what I thought was the most scariest of times, October, November, December of 2021, when the outcry from very prominent celebrities, politicians, news anchors was to imprison the unvaccinated in camps. Yes. This was a, yes, in and, camps. Yeah, in camps and force inoculate us. Right. In I, camps. I mentally it, I, I, I prepared in, in myself. In fucking camps. To, now, yeah. how do these idiots not see what they're saying it boggled my mind absolutely boggled my mind and and you know that's that's i don't know about you uh, you you and i probably wake uh, like you you, off air you told me you you figured out in april of 2020 this was nonsense that was when that's when the light bulb went on in my head as well right and uh and in, in the dark days of 2021 I was prepared to go. Uh, I live on Maui, the island of Maui. I was prepared to go to the jungles of Hana and live in a loincloth, and not. I, I was not going to comply, no matter what. And that's where <laughs> my head was. Right. You know. Right. Yeah, that's. I was. You know, they. Uh, you know, here in little old Wichita County, uh, they, you know, ordered all the businesses to shut down or some kind of nonsense, and I just said, no. No, I'm not going to do that. You know, if the county judge wants me to close my business, then he can buy it from me and he can close <laughs> it. But I'm not closing the fucking doors. And my gym stayed open the whole time. And I've said this before. I, I told them no. And a lot of the cops trained with me. And they knew damn good and well what was going on. And they're all good guys. You know, in it, at this point in time, our police force is composed of mainly a bunch of pretty good guys. wasn't always the case, but it is now. And they said, I just, "Just put something up over the front glass and just go ahead and train." You know, and, <laughs> and we did that, and and uh, you know, had people park in the back and stuff. And we it was it was uh, it was an interesting time. But I just said, you know, and and it it really became interesting at how unwilling a lot of people were to enforce that level of uh, intrusion into personal freedom in this part of the country. Now, I, I don't know that I could have gotten away with that in Massachusetts or Maui. I don't know. You know, the, the government of Maui is, uh, is a pretty well, hard line ass Democrats. You well, I got, we got, a, I got a good story for you. There was a, there was a, uh, uh, a gym owner here did exactly what you did and stayed open and uh, the cops uh, some of the cops trained there and he, he, he was able to stay keep his doors open so yeah did, and no mask no mask you know I'm 67 I'm, I'm you're just a freshman right but I, I I'm older <laughs> than you are and I this is the weirdest thing I have ever been through I have never in the in my entire life seen as much weird shit as has taken place over the past three years it makes you lose your faith in the in the species and 
I just don't understand why everybody was willing to do exactly the same kinds of things that every totalitarian dictatorship in the history of the world has done. They first, they make you afraid and then they tell you what to do. And then if you don't do it, you are ostracized by all the people that did. This is this pattern has been repeated throughout history. Every time a totalitarian dictatorship takes place, the same thing exactly happens. You have to be made afraid so that you will comply. And then when you comply, you become the enforcers. You know, East Germany, how is it different? How is the FBI not the Stasi? They're, they are. And look, here's the interesting thing about what you just said. Authority needs compliance because there's not enough um, police or military to enforce. They need the compliance of the people to do self-enforcement. Absolutely. And without, and without that, there's no authority. And that's where we have a problem in this country and, and around the globe. If we can only get people to stop complying, we win. That's it. But the problem is there are lots of people who became self-appointed czars of COVID, uh, mm-hmm. the Karens uh, that we all talk mm-hmm. about and know and love. These people, uh, their lives are so small, when the state gave them the authority to tell us what to do, they grabbed it wholeheartedly and they loved it. Right. Right. You, you, there never seems to be a shortage of people willing to comply and further willing to turn in those people who won't comply. You know that I had people, I guess from my neighborhood, calling the police department in Wichita Falls telling everybody that I was open. And they'd send a guy over, he'd drive through the parking lot, then he'd leave. Yeah, and they're not yeah, gonna. Not, those guys weren't gonna be assholes about it, but but people were calling me in because I didn't obey the rules. And this, my God, East Germany, such a wonderful example here. Your kids would turn you in. They did a wonderful job of that, didn't they? They did. And here we are, you know five inches away from the same fucking thing man uh this has been a strange strange little interlude in the history of this country well ed i appreciate it uh man we'd like to have you back on sometime if you want to talk to us again about something uh, absolutely i'd uh enjoy talking with you i'd enjoy just the numbers i enjoy the numbers you guys can draw your own conclusions I think we've helped you do that today, but I mean, people wake the fuck up. This is going on far too long. I think it's wrapping up, but if you fail to learn something from this situation, then they're going to do it to you again. They're going to do it to you again. There's no doubt about it. And I know what I think they're going to do. Climate lockdowns and climate emergencies. Uh, unavoidable, unavoidable. The most progressive pseudoscience in the history of the world is climate change. It's a pseudoscience. It does not 
predict anything, and it cannot be falsified. It is astrology. It's the same thing as astrology. And I'd like to talk to somebody about that on this podcast, too, and we're going to we're going to try to line somebody up because that's that's one of my – I'm burdened with this geology education. You know, <laughs> the planet is 4.6 billion years old. And when some jack-off says this is, the, this is the hottest year in the history of the planet, I, I, you, you just, you know, shut up. <clears throat> That'd be like me opining on brain surgery. You know, you don't know anything about the history of the planet, you know, but here we are. We're in the same situation. It's a pseudoscience. It's a pseudoscience that doesn't acknowledge the little, the uh, big yellow ball in the sky that can burn your skin is maybe potentially having cycles to it that impact weather patterns. We won't talk about the sun, but we'll talk about how you eating your meat is producing a carbon footprint. It's the most ridiculous thing <laughs> I've ever the seen. the most ridiculous thing. I've got a little post I wrote. You ought to go to my website and look this up. It's got its own thread, uh, global warming or something. And I've got a little summary that, uh, that you ought to read about this whole thing. Here's a planet 8,000 miles in diameter with an atmosphere that's 50 miles thick, 50 miles thick. And you're expecting us to believe that the weakest greenhouse gas in the atmosphere, CO2, is somehow far more responsible for the temperature today than the strongest greenhouse gas in the atmosphere, which is water vapor, on a planet that is 70% water. (laughs) I mean, how are you so oblivious to the big picture here? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's just it's just bizarre to me, you know. Anyway, Ed, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you very, very much. Appreciate your being with us today. Edward Dowd, buy his book, you idiots. Buy the book. Read the book. This is the data. This is what you need to know. Draw your own conclusions from it. Okay? Thanks for being with us. And we'll see you thank next you. time on Starting Strength Radio. 